I don't know if that's what you were going for, but I've definitely felt like this black woman, 100%. I identify with her. I very much felt like a potted plant that people just, and people did, just walk by and ignore and not consider. Welcome to Art is Human Nature, a podcast where art meets the expert, a podcast where I, the artist, speak with people who know a lot about the ideas I try to capture in my work. I'm your host, Alexander Robinson. Welcome back to the Artist Human Nature podcast. It's episode eight, and I'm here with Stephanie Small. We're going to be talking about the advertising industry and diversity amongst a few other things. But before we get into all of that, I really want to touch on the significance of having Stephanie on the podcast. A lot of people don't know this, but I originally went to school to study advertising, and I have a degree in creative advertising as well. I even went as far as doing a couple of internships. So more or less, there was a period of time where the world of advertising was a huge part of my life. I eventually realized in terms of a day job, nonprofit communications was more my calling. But in my brief time in those spaces, I still recall observing certain problematic things within the industry, like a lack of diversity, financial discriminatory setups for internships, microaggressions, all that stuff. But even though I haven't really been involved in that world anymore, I've still kept tabs on what's been going on in the advertising industry. And I've been seeing what Stephanie, the guest today, has been doing. The work she's been doing has just been a massive, massive highlight and a real sign of true progress. And I just want to thank you, Stephanie, for the work you've been doing and for opening up doors for Black creatives like myself. It's super inspiring and super honored to be speaking with you today. Thank you, Alexander. That's so nice of you to say. And I'm incredibly honored that you asked me to join you today. So thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for having folks like me on. Very, very humbled. So to get into things, how are you doing, Stephanie? (laughs) (laughs) That is such a loaded question. (laughs) I am well. I will say I am well. I am happy. I'm healthy. I'm gainfully employed. I have no complaints. That's awesome. That's good to hear. So from what I know, you are the founder and director of Black Taxi and the founder of Polcam. Is there anything I'm missing? In the last two or three years? What is time? I'm going to say no. Those are the only two initiatives that I have founded and started. As I mentioned earlier, you know, like having a bit of a background in advertising and keeping tabs on the industry. I know about certain things that some people in the audience might not know about. I was hoping for any of the folks who are going to be listening, if you could elaborate on what exactly Black Taxi is and Pocam. Okay. Well, let's start with Pocam because it was the first thing that I started in the last, like I said, two to three years. So Pocam started out as a private LinkedIn group around June of 2019. And I just started it because I was having a lot of conversations with different BIPOC people across marketing and advertising 
about our collective issues, like the lack of diversity or the lack of the upward mobility, more specifically into the C-suite and just the lack of opportunity and access. And so it honestly just started as me being tired of just having like 30 separate conversations, like the same conversation. I was like, why don't we all just get together and, and talk about it in one space? And so I started the LinkedIn group. I made it private because I wanted it to, and I still want it to be a safe space where BIPOC folks can come together and talk openly and not have to worry about, you know, who may be taking in the conversation and taking it elsewhere, et cetera. And so I started it privately and I just added the people, like I said, that I had been having conversations with and just said, invite who you want to invite, but they have to be BIPOC, Canadian, and in marketing and advertising. And what started out as I think maybe 25, 50, 75 people has now blossomed into this beautiful collective of almost 1,600 people across Canada. And out of that group, a steering committee was formed with six of us, including myself. And we had decided we wanted to make it into a more formal organization. And so that had happened about a year after I started the group, which was around the same time that I also started Black Taxi. And so once we started POCAM steering committee, started having conversations about formalizing it, I was like, oh, this is going to be a huge commitment of time. But I also have Black Taxi over here that only has me to run it. And so I said to the steering committee at the time, very transparently, like, I trust y'all to take this and make it this beautiful thing born out of the LinkedIn group, but I have to commit my time 100% to Black Taxi. There's no one else to do this with me. There's allies, of course, but there was no one that looked like me to run it. And so I stepped away from POCAM. I said, you know, if you guys need me for anything, whatever it is, just knock on my door. You guys know how to find me. And I put 100% of my commitment into Black Taxi which started as a program. I work for Taxi Toronto. At the time, I was the creative operations manager. And I started Black Taxi as a program with the mission, which still stands today, to attract, hire, and retain Black talent in the advertising industry. And we also revamped the internship. And so we said, for the next two to three years, we're only going to take Black applicants and we're going to pay them a livable wage because we don't ask black people to work for free. And that tidbit kind of like really, I mean, we can talk about this later in more detail, but that little tidbit kind of <laughs> was interesting. It sparked a lot of online debate. And then we also said we were going to give you not only a mentor that taught you the job, but we also assigned you a mentor that looks like you because it's great if you know how to do the job, but how do you navigate a predominantly white industry? Right. So you get someone that looks like yourself or looks like me that's like, hey, how did that meeting go with that client? Was your voice heard? Did anybody say something that, you know, was a microaggression and maybe they didn't realize it? All right, let me help you navigate the situation or I intercede on your behalf and I start to have some conversations with people because that's something that typically I heard and what I didn't have in this industry. I didn't have anyone to advocate for me. It's like, yes, I know how to do this job. But if something happens that's directly tied to my lived experience, how do I navigate that? So the pay piece and the secondary Black mentor piece was very important to me when revamping the internship. And so we did that. We built it out. It took off like a rocket. 
And about a year later, my CEO and I were in conversation in one of our one-on-ones and he really just said something to me that got me thinking about building it out beyond the program. And so I built a business plan and I wrote my own job description and just said, I want to build this out to something bigger because it can be bigger. It should be bigger into a division and added the consultancy piece. So other agencies, our existing clients, new clients, anyone that's looking to really take advantage of equity, inclusion and belonging, come talk to me. I can tell you how I built Black Taxi and the conversations we had and the processes that we changed or got rid of and implemented. And more importantly, what I love about the additional piece was that offering advertising services to small to medium-sized Black businesses and organizations. Because the West Indian mom and pop shop down the street doesn't have Canadian tire money to do a TV campaign, but also they don't need it. That's not the way in our community that we discover services. Like, if I need my hair done, I'm going to call my best friend. I'm not going to watch TV or listen to the radio. And also that $50,000 could be put into renovations in their restaurant or food. Like it could be better served. And so I just saw a real gap in that area. And I do it a la carte. So listen, if you have $5,000, okay, tell me what you need and I can figure out how to do it within your budget. If you don't have any money, tell me what you need and I can see if I can figure out how to do it for you pro bono. Because everybody deserves advertising services. And, you know, historically, we've been cast by the wayside because we didn't have the money. We didn't have the budget. But that doesn't mean we still need the services. So that's a very long-winded way of saying (laughs) Black Taxi is a creative and strategic division operating out of Taxi Toronto. And we do talent retention, internship, and we offer consultancy and advertising services for small to medium-sized Black businesses and organizations. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's just so awesome. A lot of amazing things. I guess going back to uh, Pokemon, which already is like an amazing idea and then to execute it, that's incredible. But one thing that I thought was uh, really cool was once that started to really grow and Black Taxi came into the picture, I feel like for you to know your capacity and know, okay, this is something that I need to give 100% of myself to. And just knowing to like delegate that I think is huge and makes me think of just mental health and just knowing I'm not stretching myself too thin so I can be the best version of myself. That's awesome. I mean, you have to, especially with us as like BIPOC folks, a lot of our cultures really hinge on the caring multiple things, whether it's it's house and work or it's caregiving for elderly parents or grandparents, we're always doing five or six to 17 different things at the same time. And I think that's one thing that I really learned through the pandemic was like, no, there's only so many hours in the day and you are but one person and you have to take care of yourself because no one else is going to do it. And so, yeah, when I came to that crossroads where it was like, POCAM is going to be this beautiful, wonderful, very impactful thing, but so is Black Taxi. When I was thinking about it, like I said, in the grand scheme of things, I was like, POCAM has five other people that can carry this on. They don't necessarily need me as a participant, but if I don't do Black Taxi, no one's done it before. And if no one's done it up until this point, why not me? And so, yeah, for me, it was a very easy decision 
based on those things. And you said something just now, taking care of yourself because no one else is going to. I just want to reiterate that. So for anyone listening, take care of yourself. That's like the first of many takeaways from this interview I hope people leave with. But Black Taxi now, you mentioned it just now. This is something that's like never been done before. How do you even get to this point where you're doing this? You know, because it's uncharted territory. How do you even get there? Well, for starters, for me, it was having the support, which is in conversations what I hear when people come to me for advice is something that across this industry we're really lacking, especially when it comes to C-suite. I mean, we all saw in 2020, POCAM had the, the call for equity letter that 600 people and 120 organizations signed to say yes. We have recognized that there is a lack and we've been not doing things the way we could be or should be doing them. Sign this letter, let's go. And to date, I can proudly say that Taxi has completed all 12 of those commitments. We just checked off the last one as of March 28th. So I'm very proud of that. But it's support, right? Like you need the C-suite, you need your senior leadership to say like, yes, that commitment that we signed, whether we did it publicly or not, we need to support BIPOC people coming into this industry in the best way that we can. And Black Taxi would not be a thing if Rob Gannett did not say yes to me when I sent him that email and said, I want to do something. I don't even know what I want to do, but I know I want to help Black folks. It was an immediate yes. There was no, well, what are you thinking? There was no hesitation about it. And so I will always amplify him in this story because, again, I would not be able to create this impactful division had he not said yes. And another thing is that you don't have to go through all those processes. Like Rob is very much an advocate. He says this all the time, progress over perfection, Mm. progress over process. It's something as simple as saying, you know, when you're looking for a full-time position or whatever position, when you're presenting candidates to your hiring managers, ensure three out of five or two out of five are BIPOC. You don't need a process to do that. You just do it. It's just something you just start doing. But it's that mental shift. It's that shift of unconscious to conscious thought that's a lot of people struggle with. And it's not until you really bring that to the forefront and say to them, it's this simple. You almost see the light bulb go off above their head and it's like, ah, yeah, yes. It's a conscious thought. It's a conscious decision for you to take BIPOC people into account. There's other things, of course, that go along with it. But once you start saying like, yes, I need to make a change, what is the easiest way I can make change today? That's when you really start to see the progress and the change happen. I think that's that's so real. Oftentimes from what I've noticed is a lot of people and a lot of organizations can get caught up in these large scale plans of like, okay, we have to start all over, build it up from the ground up. And like you're saying, you know, there's ways to make changes today, even if they're small, but like it's some sort of change. I think that's huge. Imagine if we had said, you know, we signed the call for equity letter in 2020, 2019, but we didn't start Black Taxi until now. That would have been two years that we missed out on 
the opportunity for progress. That would have been two black taxi internships. We've had 10 interns since then. We've hired multiple full-time staff since then. Like you don't have to wait, you know, just to like double down, triple down on your point. You don't have to wait. The work that we were doing that the call for equity letter called for, we were doing simultaneously while running Black Taxi. And Black Taxi was not perfect when we started. Like myself and our HR director, Kim, like to joke with people, like it was like a plane taking off down the runway and we were like mechanics, like running alongside the plane and still hammering nails into the wing. It wasn't fully built out. We just knew like, okay, we have this framework. Let's start with the framework we have, but change some things like only taking in black people, paying them a livable wage, adding the secondary mentor. So we still had the foundation, but we were changing things as we were working through it. And then in turn, getting feedback from our staff and our interns saying, okay, what worked? What didn't work? What can you recommend? And that is why this program has been so successful and why we built it out into the division because we didn't wait. We just started doing things. And as the change started happening and as we were getting feedback and as we were getting the critiques as well, we were still changing things because it's never going to be perfect. It's going to be an ever evolving model. But that doesn't mean we need to sit here on our hands and say, well, we have to wait until things are perfect and 15 people have signed off on this process. No, to me, that's excuses. That makes me think of two questions I'd like to ask you. The first being... In creating Black Taxi, did you face any sort of resistance? And then I guess the second question ties into that. Outside of Black Taxi, just in your career, did you ever face any sort of resistance on a personal level? I've been very blessed to have support across the network with other agencies that I've worked with under WPP. Now, Black Taxi facing resistance, absolutely. When we launched, people were upset with just about everything. From the name, people didn't like the fact that the word black was in it. There were people that felt it was discriminatory that we were only accepting black applicants. There were people that were like, well, it was illegal to be doing unpaid internships. So I don't know why you guys are like patting yourselves on the back for this. Correct. It is illegal to not pay people for internships. What people don't know is the way to get around that. And what Taxi had historically done was only accepted applications from students from specific colleges and universities that didn't allow you to pay interns. So there are certain colleges and universities out here where you can do an internship, but they do not permit you to get paid. You can get a school credit, but you cannot get paid. And so, and Taxi was not the only agency guilty of this. Another way to get around it is agencies will say, yes, come and work for us for three months. And then the end of the three months, you get $1,000. So again, yes, it is illegal not to pay interns, but there's loopholes in every system. What Black Taxi is doing, and to my knowledge is the only agency doing it, is we pay interns a wage for the entire duration you're here, meaning we give you a salary. It is prorated for the time that you're with us, which is three months, and it is a full-time salary. And you get paid the same way that I get paid on the 15th and the 31st of every month. And we do it that way because at the end of your internship, I want to hire you. I don't want to send you out into the world and have you treading water and figuring things out. I want to bring you in to taxi, whether it's Toronto office, Montreal, Vancouver, 
We're even looking at New York and trying to figure out our New York office. And if we can't get you within our four walls, we become your network. Now it's myself or HR Director Kim reaching out to other HR people, because we all know this industry is nothing but six degrees of separation at the best of times. With Black Taxi, one thing I want to get into is the need for a Black Taxi and why it is so necessary. Because, and I'm sure you've come across this in some capacity, some people might not understand why we need something like this to exist. And I feel like there's a number of reasons, and you kind of got into one of them, which was the structure of internships. I think that's a huge thing. Some people have the mentality of like, oh, it's an internship, expecting to be paid a livable wage, you know, what are you talking about? But I don't think it's any mystery, but on average, when you look at, you know, just like household incomes and stuff like that, when you decide that you're either going to just give your interns an honorarium at the very end or find some loophole around just paying them, you're in a way restricting the type of people who can actually do the internship because there are people who aren't under a certain financial situation where they can do that type of work for that type of pay. You know, it leads to people who maybe have a leg up, they have a certain family dynamic where, you know, they're taken care of and they can afford to do that. And I think that's just one of many examples of things that have contributed to there not being as many Black people and BIPOC people at large in this industry. But I was wondering, you know, in terms of those other things, if you could kind of speak to those that you've come across in your experience, some of those barriers and just some of those things that kind of, I guess, ultimately emphasize the need for a black taxi. Another one was education. So another thing that we discussed and what we implemented when formulating the internship was we stopped looking at people that only went to college and university because I was seeing people, we all see people making better content on social media than a lot of these people that have gone to school for two, three years to do content creation, editing, videography, whatever. I was a huge advocate because I'm also someone who did not go to advertising school. I have no formal education as it pertains to advertising. And yet here I am. I always say to people, education does not dictate talent at all. So like, yes, we're not saying if you did go through the traditional process that we're not going to consider you. What I'm saying is if you did not go through the traditional process, I am absolutely still considering you. Send me the short film you shot on your iPhone. Send me the painting that you did. Send me the website that you built that houses your portfolio. I don't care. However your talent is reflected, send that to us for review with your CV. Because again, in line also with the same people that can afford to do an unpaid internship, there are also people that cannot afford post-secondary education for whatever reason. And I don't care what that reason is, But I do not believe that that should exclude you from being given the same opportunity and access to this industry as someone who has the privilege of affording to go to post-secondary college or university. And so we said that. We said, just cast the net wide. If you're Black and you're ambitious and you're trying to get into advertising, please come and talk to us. Present yourself in the best way that is reflective of who you are and what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go, we will talk to you. We will consider you. 
it costs us nothing to have a conversation with you, to look over your email. So send it in. And in the first call out for interns, we have five roles that we fill every year for interns. The first year we had almost 130 applications for the internship. And so just to like circle back to answer your question, is there a need for black taxi? Obviously, because what we had always heard was, oh, there's not enough of us. We're not coming into this industry. We're not staying in this industry. Lies. (laughs) Lies. Boldface lies. And that is another reason. And, you know, to go back to POCAM, that's also why I started POCAM, because I was like, there's no way that I only know these people. And then they, in turn, don't know 10 people. You know what I mean? So it was like, once we all collectively got in a room, it was like, hang on, there's a gang of us working across this industry. Some of us have crossed paths, like, you know what I mean? So it was like, the need was here. It's just, we hadn't been considered at all. We weren't continually being considered, but more importantly, we weren't being looked for, right? If we look at the grand scheme of things, we think about who is at the forefront of culture. Who influences music, fashion, food, hair, makeup, nail design? Who do you see? What do they look like that is at the forefront of all of those trends? So you cannot tell me that we're not needed, that we're not interested in this industry. There is. And that's from like a creative standpoint, a production standpoint, an account management standpoint, finance, HR, You just don't have to be a creative. I was an admin coming into this industry, you know, not even knowing what this industry was. My only point of reference for advertising was Mad Men (laughs) before I started working here, right? So it was like, there absolutely was a need for Black Taxi. There needed to be somebody or some agency that just was like, I say to people, like, it was like me standing in a stadium with my hand up going, hey, yo, Black people, hi, come talk to me. It's literally like that. And then I just like open the gate and I'm like, here you go. Come on in. Do what needs to be done. I love that. I love that. You know, the fact that like people weren't looking for us, you know, like, but we're here. There's so many of us. That's so real. In terms of the need for programs like Black Taxi, I think we kind of got into a few of uh, the barriers that are kind of in place. But the barriers we talked about were a lot of tangibles things that are very specific that can be spoken about. But then I feel like there are intangibles that are a little harder to address. And I think one thing that kind of speaks to that is the mentorship component of Black Taxi, where the interns, they have another person who looks like them, who is looking out for them, who they can talk to about any sort of experiences they're having. And I just think that's so important because when you find yourself being like the only person who looks like you or who has like a certain background, a lot of people can be blind to certain experiences you're having. And you kind of mentioned, you know, unintentional microaggressions. Another thing that, you know, I've come across, I'm trying to think what's a good way to describe it. It's something I've noticed in advertising, but then also I've seen a parallel with advertising and in the art industry, the world of fine art. That thing is the idea of subjectivity meeting racial bias. And it's something that took me a while to kind of find the words for it. But essentially, 
the idea that with subjectivity, which, you know, as a creative, as an artist is something I absolutely love. I love the fact that two people can look at something and see different things, love all that. But also knowing that a concept like subjectivity in the hands of someone with a racial bias, it can become the perfect veil for any sort of racial bias, because you can easily say, well, I just don't like it. It just isn't working for me. And that's the end of that. You don't have to really elaborate on that. Again, like with something like Black Taxi, where you have people that look like you who have a shared experience, people looking out for you, you can't guarantee that something like that will never happen, but you can at least create an environment where it happens less or it's less likely to happen. But with that being said, I'm curious what you think of that idea of subjectivity and racial bias. Whew. I mean, this is only an hour podcast, right, Alexander? Ugh, <laughs> oh, again, that's such a loaded question because like immediately as you were talking, and I'm sure most people do this, I just went back to that like Jenner Pepsi commercial. And it was just like, and like the H&M with the black boy in the monkey shirt. And it's just like, even sometimes like, The other night I was watching a commercial and I was like, there were no BIPOC people in the room. Because if there was, they would have told you that this was wild. Like, it wasn't offensive, but it was just like cringe, you know? What I'm trying to say is this is why it's so important to have different voices in the room. And I just feel like people have at times this real hands-off approach or this real aversion to racial bias, they almost look at it like it's a dirty word. And I don't look at it that way. Bias, I mean, as BIPOC people, and I'm sure our allies who are listening will recognize that it hasn't been used for good. And this is why it's such a dirty word. But when you look at something into your point where you're like, I just don't like it. And you may not want to go into that explanation of why you don't like it, depending on who you're in the room with. You could be the only one and you could explain why you don't like it and why you have a bias because of your lived experience towards something that doesn't mean it's going to be received and understood. And so it's a hard thing because, yes, there is a clear difference between subjectivity. Like you said, like two people can look at something and take it completely different. But if included in that subjectivity, there is a bias, especially when it ties in to racial sexual, et cetera, that's when it becomes a problem. Because you can't look at a person and say, I don't like this person because of, you know what I mean? But you can look at a campaign with bias and say, I do not like this because of who I am and how it makes me feel as a first immigration child, black woman, queer, et cetera. That is the difference. And again, that for me goes back to the unconscious to conscious thought, that connection that people oftentimes don't make. If you'd like to see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. I repeat, if you'd like to follow along and see the artwork we're about to discuss, You'll find a link in the episode notes, or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. All right, let's get back to the episode. 
While we're on the subject of subjectivity, I want to show you the artwork for this episode. So first thing is just like initial thoughts. Initially, I was like, I have questions. But now as I'm like looking at different parts of the piece, my thoughts are starting to formulate around what I think it could mean. Initially, I was like, why are these people potted plants? And then I looked around and then I saw the sign with the discount, white people in the background, black people in the foreground, and was like, oh, we're products at the end of the day. We're there, but we're not seen. Actually, coincidentally enough, there was an article that I read about a study, and stop me if you've read this already, that they tested white folks, their brainwaves, on when they see other white people and when they see BIPOC people. And the brainwaves indicated that they would see white people as people and avoid like walking into them and things like that. But they saw BIPOC people as objects that they could just like walk into or completely ignore altogether. And this is what I thought of. As I said, I was looking around the piece and kind of formulating thoughts and putting things together. It's like, oh, so these white people see each other because they're in conversation, but they do not see clearly this black man in a sports outfit or this black woman just sitting here with a cup of tea, clearly also on break, it looks like, or in a lounge area. To them, she's just like this potted plant that can just be ignored, passed by, not addressed in any way, shape, or form. I don't know if that's what you were going for, but I've definitely felt like this Black woman, 100%. There's like a lot of what you said that's right on the nose. Really? Yeah. Shoot, let me add art credit (laughs) to my LinkedIn after this. (laughs) Might just have to, might just have to. (laughs) If you had to name this piece, what would you name it? Okay, I would call it growth in the face of ignorance. I like that a lot. Because clearly she's still blooming. Look at that. Leaves are coming over the side. She needs to be repotted, if you're asking me, as a plant mom. So it looks to me like regardless of what's going on, sis is still thriving. So I would call it growth in the face of ignorance. I love that. I love that. Wow. That's a great name. And then I guess the next question, it's kind of two questions. One is how does it make you feel? And two, how do you feel about the colors in the piece? The colors are beautiful. Beautiful. Very complimentary, striking. I noticed the walls at first before anything else. I love her tone as well. Like it's interesting because the wall in her shirt, you could say are similar colors, but yet they stand out from each other. It's not like she's blended into the wall, which I really appreciate. And sorry, what was your first question before I started ranting about the colors? How does it make you feel? I mean, like I said, I fully identify with this woman just sitting here, you know, being ignored. But also, like, she's not interested in engaging in this conversation, so I feel that as well. It makes me feel a little bit nostalgic, like I said, because I've been in that situation and I've come a very long way since then. So in that way, it kind of makes me, gives me like a little inkling of sadness for her. But also, I'm proud that she's sitting there because she has her back to them. Like, you know, you can see me the way you see me, but I'm good on my own. I got my cup of tea and she looks content. It's a range, it sounds like. 
<laughs> it's a range of emotions. I like that. So a big thing I'll do is like, I'll ask people, you know, a couple of questions I ask you. And then just to kind of highlight the contrast and I guess the fun in that subjectivity I'll like share as the artist some of my intentions and there's going to be a bit of overlap and a bit of places where it differentiates and yeah it's just cool to see and hear that but first thing I'll start with is the title for the piece which I love the title you came up with and the title I originally came up with for this piece was work culture and that's been the word I've heard tossed around a lot you know like what's the work culture of a place and the idea that the culture of that workplace. It's something that's normalized, even if it's problematic. And then also that nod to commodifying the culture of other people. But in terms of the piece itself, I loved a lot of what you had to say about the person in this piece and how they're kind of isolated and they're kind of being seen as one way, but also at the same time, they're thriving. And that's definitely something I wanted to get across And it's really cool that that you felt that. And a big thing with that is with the colors in the piece, I wanted it to have like a kind of uniform palette where you would get a sense that this is a person that people want in the background blending in, but they're not. So you can kind of see like a lot of the colors, it can kind of blend in with the background, but at the same time, this person stands out so much. I wanted to kind of get that across as well. And then with the little uh, bobblehead (laughs) in the corner, for me was a nod to like a few things I've seen. You know, the idea of like people loving the culture, but not loving us. And in past experiences, I've been in offices and you kind of alluded to this where so many of the things when it comes to music, when it comes to fashion, makeup, we're kind of at the forefront of that. And oftentimes, When you think of what's cool, it's often something that a Black person has done. And for me, I've been in some spaces in the past where you see that influence very strongly from the decor, the posters that are put up, that nod to a bunch of certain things. Like we play hip hop at this office, but there's no Black employees. So it's a little weird. So that's kind of a a nod to that. But also in the choice to do a bobblehead, this is kind of like a little like funny thing, but I noticed that what bobbleheads do is they nod their head. And I guess painting the picture that the only two people that look like each other is this person and the other, which is a bobblehead, which is a person who nods to everything who agrees with everything, who doesn't want to go against the grain, a person who is likely to say that's just the way it is. But yeah, that's kind of like, I guess, the general idea of what I was hoping to get across with this piece. And I guess for you hearing that, what do you think of that breakdown? That's perfectly conveyed. Like the foundation of the message is there. And then I think everything else is subjective and interpretive but the foundation of it is there. Like we clearly see what's happening in this. But to that point, again, to go back to subjectivity, I'd be interested to hear what a non-BIPOC person would take away from this piece of art. Be very interested to hear that. Me too. So 
We got into POCAM, we got into Black Taxi, we got into a lot of the barriers, tangible and intangible, that speak to why we need programs like Black Taxi. We got into the artwork for this episode. I guess for you, Stephanie, is there anything that you wanted to share that you haven't had the chance to yet? I want to share that we are going through our final round selection for our interns for this summer. But that does not mean that you cannot still apply to taxi. We have a lot of current roles open that I would love, love, love to see some BIPOC people come and fill. Please reach out to me. Please Google Black Taxi, go to the Black Taxi website. Please apply directly through the Black Taxi website if you are someone who identifies as Black Because like I said, I am with my hand up in a stadium hollering to get your attention to come and work for us and with us, more importantly. And like we said at the top of this wonderful podcast, please take care of you. And don't think that there aren't people out here looking for you and championing you because I am but one of many, many people I know out here doing similar work trying to bring us to center stage. So we out here, progress over process and perfection. Wow. See, okay, here's the thing. You'll say I come with the big questions, but you come with the big answers. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I'm trying to match you. I'm trying to, you know, be on your level. So I'm glad that you said that. Wow, that that was perfect. I think that's a perfect note to leave on. Thank you. Thank you again, Stephanie. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. And thank you for all the amazing work you do. Of course. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for highlighting me and Black Taxi. And thank you for doing this podcast as well. It's wonderful. I've listened to previous episodes. This is good work. This is important work that you're doing, Alexander. So thank you. And thank you for sharing your beautiful art with me. This concludes Art is Human Nature. To see the artwork for this episode, visit artbyrobinson.com slash artishumannature. Until next time.